0: Well, there was an old mountaineer who had lived a a full but not exactly saintly life, and and now he's on his deathbed. And so he summoned his weeping wife, Sarah, and he said, Go to the fireplace and take out the third stone from the top. So she did as instructed. Reach in there, he said, "and, and bring out what you find. So she reached in and her her fingers touched a large mason jar and it was full of cash when she brought it out. Now Sarah, the old man said, when I go, I'm going to take all that money with me. I want you to put that jar up in the attic by the window. I'll get it as I go by on my way to heaven. So his wife followed the instructions. And that night the old mountaineer died. And after the funeral, his wife remembered the mason jar she had put up in the attic. So she went up to the attic to check, and sure enough, there was the jar, still there, still full of money. She sighed, oh, the widow sighed. I knew I should have put it in the basement. (laughs) So, you see... The gospel message is probably the most important message we will ever hear in life. And how we respond will determine eternity for us. Now, we know how we say we've responded to that message. But here's something to think about. Does our walk in life show the true response that we've made to this gospel message? Let's go to the Lord and ask Him to guide us in His truth as we look at the Word together. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word, instructs us so much, tells us about how much You loved us, and Your plan for us in our lives. So Lord, may the Holy Spirit just guide us in Your truth as we look together into Your Word. Just bless our time in the Word this morning. First, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, Paul, you have no doubt about Paul's faith, right? In Galatians 2.20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And of course, Philippians 1.21, pastor shared that with us last week, right? Where he says, for to me, to live is Christ, and to die is what? Gain, Gain. yeah, we, we got that correct last week too, that's good. So our passage today in Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 has been described as one of the clearest, most expressive descriptions of salvation in the New Testament. Now, you know, Paul, in, in all of his writings, he preached the gospel, right? Paul told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 9 that, For woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. And then he he follows that up just later on in in chapter 15, 3 and 4, where Paul actually gives the gospel in a nutshell, you might say. He says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Now that is a very concise description of the gospel in it. And so if 1 Corinthians 15, 3, and 4 is the gospel in a nutshell, then Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 is really the gospel personified. In our message today, Paul is very clear to let us know where we are without Christ, where all of us were before accepting Christ, who it is that reaches down to us with grace, where we stand if we accept that grace, And what we are to be doing if we have that grace. So Paul is showing us through this presentation of the gospel. A faith that is worth living. Because it's a faith that is lived in Christ. Now I know some of you are thinking. Donna are you really going to just speak about the gospel all morning? You know. I mean we've heard it. The good news and all right. We've accepted it. That's why we're here in church right. That should be your closing. And then share the gospel for those who need it at the end, right? Well, you can, you can plain, kind of blame the pastor for this message. See, a few weeks ago, he, he, is, he has been reading this, this book that he's been really excited about. So he bought a copy and gave it to me and told me to read it. And he said that, you know, the title of the book is The Unsaved Christian. Mm. This author, Dean Insera, uh, he's pastors a church in Tallahassee, Florida, I believe it is. Well, when he graduated from seminary, him and his best friend, they both got called to churches. His friend in California, him into the south. And he told his friend, man, you've got such a great mission field because out there where your church is in California, I mean, people are not... Silent about the fact they're atheists. They'll tell you they do not believe in God. What a mission field you have. Well, his friend told... He said, I'm in the Bible Belt. Everybody, Everybody grew up in church, you know. And he told Dean that, well, you've actually got the harder mission field. Because you're with people who all grew up in church. They all say they believe in God. You don't know where they are in their faith and in their salvation. I know where my people are. They tell me, you know. So... Then the pastor went, and this past week he gave me a call. He says, are you going to preach on the book? <laughs> I said, I don't know. I don't want to offend anybody, you know, talking to Christians about their salvation. You know." But then, then I kind of remembered, and I remember the first time Dr. Graff preached up here. He preached on sin. And it was a great message. I still remember his vivid description of sin, and, and I use that with our youth a lot. And then the next time he preached, he preached on sin. I'm thinking, is he trying to tell us something here? So I thought, well, if Dr. Graf can do that, I can I can take the pastor's lead and and I'll see what we have here. But what what I want us to do is to look together at every aspect of the gospel of grace through Jesus Christ. I want us to look together and know that we are saved. John said in his gospel in in about the twentieth chapter there of the Gospel of John, he tells why he wrote the book. So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. In His name. You know, living in Christ. That phrase, in Christ, is used some 75 times in the New Testament. Now we all understand that Christ lives in us through the Holy Spirit when we accept Christ, right? The Holy Spirit comes in and dwells within us. But do we understand what it means for us to live in Christ? As Paul says, for him to live is Christ. And I know we all want to hear those words when we stand before the Lord that's found in Matthew 25 where he says, Well done, good and faithful servant." What we don't want to hear is those words from Matthew 7 where he says, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. The thing is, he's not talking to unbelievers there, people who rejected him. He's talking to people who claim to be Christian and said, Wouldn't we do all this stuff in your name? And he says, Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So I just want us to reflect together a little bit here on the gospel and what it means in our lives. I want us to ask some questions. Do I understand that I need a Savior? Do I, do I just know who Jesus Christ is or do I know Jesus Christ? Is my life reflecting what I say I believe? And if not, why? And do we take salvation as just a ticket to get out of heaven or hell uh, or to, a ticket to go to heaven or a ticket to get out of hell free card, you know? Is that what we see salvation as? George Whitefield said, "Do not flatter yourselves of being good enough because you are morally so, because you go to church, say the prayers and take the sacraments. Therefore you think no more is required. Alas, you are deceiving your own souls." So let's dig into the Word of God and, and make sure that we not only understand the gospel of salvation through Jesus Christ, but also that we understand what the go, that gospel should mean in our lives as we go forward. So Ephesians chapter 2 is where we are, 1 through 10, that, uh, that uh, Joseph read for us. And it starts out, it says, And you. Some translation says, as for you, right? E- either way, this first word, and, or the phrase, as for you, depends on your translation. That ties what Paul is about to say in chapter 2 to what he just said in chapter 1. So it might be wise if we kind of look back at chapter 1 just for a minute, just skim over it and see what Paul is saying. In chapter 1, Paul has told the Ephesians that he always prays for them that God the Father would give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. He wants them to know who Jesus Christ is, right? He, he says in chapter 1, Christ is the one that God the Father raised from the dead, seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven. Jesus is above all rule, all authority, and power, and dominion. His name is above every name. All things are in subjection to Him under His feet. He is head over all. That's the great Lord and Savior that we know. And so, after discussing this greatness of Jesus Christ, Paul says, and you. Now, let me ask you, who, who is the you here? Who is you here? He says, and you in chapter 2. See, so he just talked about Jesus, how great he is. Now he's shifting over and connecting us. He says, and you. We are the you. Okay? So we are the you. And so he says, And you who were dead in your transgressions and sin, in which you formerly walked. The the word walk there can just be really translated a way of life. This is the way, Paul says, we lived life. Dead in transgressions and sin. And... And he goes on and, and, and says, let's start from the top again, "...and you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience." So Paul is saying, and you... Remember, he just described the greatness of Jesus Christ. Then he turns to the people in the Ephesians and says, "...and you... Walking with the prince of the power of the air, a spirit of disobedience. That's what we are. Now, who is the prince of the power of the air? Just call it out. Who is it? Satan. Satan. Yeah, Satan is the prince of the power of the air. He says, and you... who, Who did we say you was? That's us. We're the you. So he says, we... We're worldly, walking with Satan in disobedience. That's what Paul is describing here. Not a very flattering description, is it? Compared to what he just described on Jesus Christ. And in case any of us are thinking, maybe the same thing that the maybe some of the Ephesians were thinking. Well, you're pointing your finger at us, Paul. What about you? Huh? Well, let's go look at look at verse 3. It says... According to them, oh among them, we too all formerly lived. So who is Paul talking about here when he says we too? Who's he talking about? See, um when 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 you don't have the senior pastor you have someone filled in, then you guys got to help me, you know. So yeah, Paul's talking about himself, right? <laughs> He's talking about himself. Maybe he's talking about all the apostles, the leaders of the church. Basically, all who profess Jesus Christ as Savior, he says, we too were in this state. I mean, remember what Romans 3.23 says. It says, most have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? No, no, that's oh, Some have sinned. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All right, so let me see. Who here believes that you are a part of that all? You know, are you part of that? Yeah. Every hand should be up. Because it pretty much includes every one of us in this room here. We were all a part of that all. We all formerly lived worldly, walking with Satan in disobedience. And that's, that's a pretty bad description of us, isn't it? Paul doesn't stop there, though. Just in case we haven't grasped yet the enormity of the divide between us and Jesus, Paul goes on. Let's read all of verse 3. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. So not only were we worldly, walking with Satan in disobedience, But we lived in lust, indulging the desires of our flesh and mind. By nature, children of wrath. Wow. Kind of a killjoy this morning, isn't it? I thought Paul was going to give us the good news. Um, The the first chapter in this book that the pastor gave me to read, the title of it was... uh, You must get them lost. Hmm. Must help them get lost. You see, I think the the problem that we have a lot today is we want to tell everyone about the love of Jesus. And he does love us. And we want to tell them, Jesus loves you, just accept him and you can go to heaven. We don't want to talk about that. The sin that we are in, right? And you know, the hardest person to witness to is a good person. I know someone that I I pray for off and on quite often. And he's a very good person, uh, the world would say. You know, he's a good husband. He's a good father. He's a hard worker. He provided for his family. He's done very well for for himself. He doesn't see any need for anything. That's a hard person to witness to. Sinclair Ferguson, he's a pastor and seminary professor, said this, Thinking that I deserve heaven is a pure sign I have no understanding of the gospel. Joseph tells our youth quite often, God has no grandchildren. You are not saved because your parents were saved. You're not saved because you grew up in the church. Paul knew that before anyone could grasp the saving knowledge of the gospel, they must first realize who they are without Christ. A child of wrath. And so, fortunately, Paul doesn't stop there, does he? That's not the whole gospel. Verse 4 says, But God. That might be the best two words in this whole section. But God. No matter how far down the scale of sin we are, God reached down to touch our lives and lift us up. If we will accept that hand. So, but God, being rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved. It was God's mercy offering us something we do not deserve. Remember Romans 3.23? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we all fall in that all. And Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin in death is death. Basically, we deserve to die. But God... Not only did God look at us and have mercy on us, it says He loves us with a great love, even before we got our life straight. God loves us. You can think of the most devout atheist you might know, or the most wicked person you know, and you know God loves that person with a great love. I know this from verse 5. Where he says, even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive. When we were in that state, Paul described, we all start out in, God loved us. And look, look what he did for us. Made us alive together with Christ. So, so take note, he did not make us alive so we could go on our merry way. and and just do whatever we want in life. He made us alive together with Christ. Not so we can live our own way, but now we're joined together with Christ. So if you are not with Christ, you are not living your life in Christ, then you are not alive. It's together with Christ that we are made alive. And if we are trying to live on our own without Christ, then we, how how did Paul say it? Are dead in our transgressions. That's where we are. But God poured out His grace on us. Look at verse 6. And raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Look what God wants to do through His grace. He wants to raise us up with Christ. He wants to seat us with Christ. And He wants us to be with Him in heavenly places. Now, now we make the mistake sometimes, I I think, uh, when we say, oh, I'm just so glad I'm saved. I can't wait until I can be with Jesus my Lord in heaven. You don't have to wait. He says, we are with Christ now. If we are living in Christ. Paul does not say, I will raise you up one day in the future. He says that when you are saved by grace, we are raised up with Christ and seated with Christ. His presence goes with us now. And so why does God want to make sure that we are in Christ? We are with Him. Look at verse 7. So that... In the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. God desires to shower us with grace and kindness if we are living in Christ. I mean, don't expect God's blessing in your life if you won't live in Christ. Okay? So Paul has the stage set now. He's now ready to give the gospel. I think the the people all know, and by reading it, we all know, we were separated from Jesus Christ. We were sinful people. So, then you have that famous verse, 289, our J.V. Awana kids, this is their memory verse they have every week, they say. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is the gift of God. Not as a result of works, so that no one, may boast what what, what makes the gospel good news is that there is absolutely nothing that we can do to earn God's grace nothing it is God's gift because God had this great love for us he gave us this gift if you are saved you had nothing to do with it it was all God All you had to do was to trust what God had already done. And um, I'll ask you this question here. Think about it. If everyone else... See, this is why we need to make the gospel personal. If everyone else on earth lived perfect lives, you were the only sinner among them, would God, would Jesus Christ have came down and died on the cross for you. What do you think? Think you would have? I see heads going this way, so that's good. Yeah, if you don't believe that, just look, go back and read Luke 15 about the lost sheep. Jesus says, shepherd who has a hundred sheep, one of them goes astray. That shepherd goes after that one. He doesn't say, well, the 99 are good. We just let that one go. No, he goes after that one and brings him back in. That is the good news of the gospel. Accept Christ and you're saved. You don't have to do anything. Paul did not leave it there though. Sometimes I think that's where we make a mistake. We, we want to get someone saved. We want them to make a decision for Christ. And that's good. All right, you're, you're a believer in Jesus Christ now you're going to spend eternity with Christ in heaven. And we leave it at that. Paul didn't leave it there. He went on to explain what is expected if we truly accept God's grace. Right? Verse 10. I love verse 10 here. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Paul tells us if we accept God's grace, God is beginning another creative work in us okay genesis 1 tells us right in the beginning god created and he created us male and female and he created us in the image of almighty god now that's a pretty cool work there right unfortunately we sinned and as paul said earlier we're now by nature children of wrath but now if we accept his grace of salvation God creates a new work now in us. Okay, We're already created in the image of God. Now cre- He's creating us in Christ Jesus. Okay, In Christ Jesus. And why does God desire to recreate us if we come to Him in faith? Because <clears throat> He has good works for us to do, doesn't He? And by the way, I think God knew that whoever has come to Him was going to come to Him because it says He's already prepared these works ahead of time, that we should walk in them. So if you are truly in Christ, that is what you will be doing, walking in those works that He has prepared for you. James 2.18 and following, James tells the people there about the Christian walk. He says, I will show you my faith by my works. Now, he's not saying you not have to work to keep your faith. But he's just saying to these people he was talking to who were claiming to be Christian, but you didn't see anything different in their life. He says, I'll show you my faith by my work. He goes on to say, without works, or without faith, your works are useless. Okay. Faith without works is useless. That's what he says. Paul felt the same way, I think. That's why he has this like he has. He understood that faith includes attachment, union, solidarity in Christ. To Paul, faith is life-changing and productive of good works. Kyle Snodgrass is a professor of New Testament studies. He said, Christianity is not primarily a religion of ideas, but a religion of participation, of involvement, and of fellowship with God in Christ. Unfortunately, many believe that faith is just agreement, make a decision, affirm the teachings of the Bible. They don't really know the teachings of the Bible because they're not in any Bible study. For many, a change is desirable with faith, but not necessary. As long as you make a decision for Christ, you're all right. You know, no deep commitment, no deep thought, no significant change. That is not a faith worth living. He went on to say, We distort the very idea of faith when we fail to see that it joins us to Christ and affects the whole reality of our life. Faithfulness in Christian living is not an option. It is part of the faith. Now, Jesus is not advocating a work-based salvation, but rather for evidence that you are saved. We need to ask ourselves, if someone who doesn't know me hangs around me for a while, will they know I'm a Christian? Will they know it? That's probably the greatest compliment a Christian can have. He's around some people that don't really know him and they've been around you for a while and they they, they look at you and say, there's something different about you. That is a great compliment for a Christian. So what does saving faith look like? Paul says it will produce the good works that God has for us. James says it will produce fruit if you are truly saved. So what does that gospel look like played out in our lives? I can tell you what it doesn't look like. The gospel is not church attendance. The gospel is not be sincere and a good person. The gospel is not theism, heritage, or ethnicity. The gospel is not making Jesus your co-pilot. You remember that saying? That was years ago. Oh, I'm I'm good. Jesus is my co-pilot. If you think Jesus is your co-pilot, you don't know Jesus Christ. And you don't know the true gospel. Because Jesus wants to be the pilot of your life. (laughs) He doesn't want to be sitting in the back seat. And a faith lived in Jesus Christ does not mean you have to be the next Billy Graham. All right? Paul said God prepared work for us to do. And so we need to be doing that work. Not the work he prepared for somebody else to do. We all have a calling for God. And in, in the book, I'll just take a, a couple of these, because he lists several characteristics of someone who is truly saved and in Christ. One is, you will live, if you are in Christ, you will live a life of repentance. Remember, Paul evidently realized someone needs to know how sinful they are before they can be saved. Okay, John Calvin wrote, Repentance is not the start of the Christian life, it is The Christian life. Romans 2, 4 says, Or do you not think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? As a Christian, we are not perfect. We are just saved. And John gives us in his letter in 1 John, you know, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, do you live a life of repentance? If you are in Christ, you're going to live a life in sound doctrine. Scott Swain, president of Reformed Theological Seminary said, sound doctrine delivers us from the snare of false teaching. Titus 1.9 says, holding fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching so that we he will be able to both To exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. We need to know the word of God. Because I can guarantee you out in the world, um, we get a lot of ideas thrown at us. And you know, to the logical human mind, that, that sounds right. That sounds pretty good. But is it according to God's word? Some of the things they think are all right are against God's word. You need to know sound doctrine so you don't get sucked in to false beliefs. Okay. We will have spiritual disciplines if we are in Christ. Um, in the book of Acts, we see the first Christians devoted themselves to the apostles. Teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to prayer. And these are by no means the way to keep your salvation. They are a means God provided to help believers grow in their faith and in their affection with Jesus Christ. Do you have a heart for the lost? And then I'll just hit one more since we're running out of time here. If you are in Christ, you will love God and you will love His church. God's Word tells us to spur one another to good works in Hebrews 10 to encourage one another in Ephesians 4, to consider others more important than ourselves in Philippians 2, to do good to all people, especially our Christian brothers and sisters in Galatians 6, and to love one another because that is how the world will know we're His disciples. That's John 13, 34, and 35. You cannot do things if you're not a part of the body of Christ. You can't do these things that I just said. I don't believe you can say you love Jesus And you don't care about the church. Jesus started the church. He is still building the church. He is head over the church. He loves the church. And can you imagine a church where believers knew they were bound to Jesus Christ, living in Christ, reflecting His death and resurrection, conscious of their new creation in Christ, and doing the work God has prepared for each of them to do? That would be a church that would... That would sign. So as we close, let's think about the faith we claim to have. The question must be, where do I live my life? In the world or in Christ? John was actually asking this question to a group of Christians in his letter in 1 John. In in verse one six of 1 John, he says, If we say that we have fellowship with Him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. John's asking them, do you, do you claim to be a Christian? Do you claim to be saved and yet you are running with, as Paul said, the course of the world? He said, then you lie unto yourself. You don't practice the truth. He goes a little deeper in, in verse 8 and says, If we say that we have no sin... We are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. So, are we running with this world instead of in our faith in Christ and saying that, well, now that I'm a Christian, I don't really sin anymore, right? Or at least not as bad as I used to, so I'm okay? John says, You don't have the truth if that's your belief. We all still sin. And so he goes one more step deeper in verse ten there in first John one. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not even in us. In other words, are we one of those that say, Well, I've always been a Christian because I was born in a Christian family. I've been going to church my whole life. John says, if that's your thought, you make God to be a liar and you don't even have his word in you. That's pretty strong statements. Charles Spurgeon said, Many a good man in his own esteem has been a devil in God's eyes. Many a pious soul in the esteem of the church has been nothing but rottenness in the esteem of God. The main question is, where do we live our life? In the world or in Christ? A Christian can only be fully alive when they live their life in Christ. Okay. we've seen here in Ephesians 2 the account of the good news of the gospel we saw where we were without Jesus by nature a child of wrath we saw that that is where we all start don't care who you are you were that way at one time in your life we saw that the great mercy and love of God as he reached down through us through Jesus Christ in grace We saw that it's by the work and grace of God, not anything we do. And through this gift, we're not only saved, but we're a new workmanship. He's created us anew, and now we're ready to do the work that he has prepared for us. So the question is always, what have you done with Jesus Christ? Where do you live your life in the world? Are in Christ. Now maybe you're here this morning. And you've never heard the true gospel. And put your faith in Jesus Christ. Today is the day to do it. You know as I said when I opened. The prayer room is open. We have an elder here. I'll be down here. If you want to make put your faith in Christ today. You come down after I close. And we'll pray with you and encourage you. Maybe you're here. And you did make a decision for Christ. But nothing's really changed in your life. You're still running with the world. You need to come and have prayer with us. And let's make sure we get set on being a disciple of Christ and not just claiming to know Him. Or maybe you're here and you grew up in a Christian home and have always gone to church. But you've never personally yourself put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It's that personal relationship with Him that you have. That's why when you stand before the Lord, if you don't have that personal relationship with Him, He's going to say, I never knew you. Matthew 7. Don't put it off. Don't put off that exciting life of living in Christ. You know. Be sure. Come down. We'd love to pray with you and encourage you in your walk with Jesus Christ. See, a faith that is worth living is a faith that is lived in Christ. Let's pray.